0: Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Megan Beers, the Director of Programs at Childhaven. Megan is a licensed clinical psychologist with a specialty in young children who have experienced trauma and adversity. Also with us is John Botten. John is the CEO, a compassionate and innovative leader, driving the organization to strengthen, expand, and lead in pursuit of Better Serving More Children and Families. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for having us. I like to jump right in so we can just get to the bottom of what you do and share with people. So can you just tell us about Child Haven and its history?
1: Child Haven is uh, one of the oldest organizations in the Puget Sound area, founded in 1909, so over 110 years old. Wow serving some of the uh, most at-risk and vulnerable kids of our community for a very long time. So, Since 1909 until about the mid-'70s, we served um, a wide variety of children, um, mainly from lower-income communities. And then in the 70s, we took a pretty big pivot and started serving kids who had experienced some form of trauma, abuse, or neglect. And so we had what was then called a therapeutic early learning program. And now uh, in 2020, we're um, kind of remaking ourselves again. We're calling it Child Haven (laughs) 3.0 and uh, looking for ways that we can better serve even more kids and families in the community. And Megan would be a great person (laughs) to explain how we're going to do that.
2: Yes, Megan how <laughs> yeah well, I mean, really at the core of all of child Haven's work is this recognition that we have way too many young kids and families in the in our community who are exposed to a lot of um, adversity and trauma in the first five years of life and we know that that has a really huge impact on their well-being. We are innovating and growing in ways to really meet the need um, and and increase our impact and really and really diversify so we can meet the range of needs that young kids who are experiencing adversity present with. Do you
0: work with just the child or with the parents as well? That's a great
2: question. So it's interesting. It's one of the big ways we're shifting. Historically, Child Haven has really been much more of a child-focused program. And what we're recognizing really as the science has evolved is that we can't achieve the impact that we need to and want to in our community without really much more deeply um, working with families and communities as well. Yeah. So really all of our new programming is focused on how do we support the way we describe it is how do we support the important grownups mm. in kids life? Because that's really how we achieve the greatest impact. So whether that's families, teachers, um, really who kids spend their most time with.
0: And why does Child Haven need to pivot again? Is that what you were talking about? You're kind of changing your, your stance a little Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think for a long time it was, we kind of had a model that was one size fits all, which any of us that have raised kids know that that's (laughs) rarely the case, that kids come out and individual needs and wants. And so um, part of what we were doing is really looking to grow what we call our continuum of care. So we could individualize services to better meet the needs of each individual child and family. As hopefully as situations got better, we were able to uh, move them into a program that was less intense in need. So there was fewer services, and then that opened up the, the programs that were had more intense service array for the kids who really needed that most.
2: I think the other piece is just a recognition, a community-wide recognition, that actually what we're doing as a community is not working. So we have a lot of services for kids and families out there in our community, and in actuality, The population-level health measures, you know, kids who are ready for kindergarten, teen mental health struggles, like all all of these indicators suggest that actually we're not, as a community, achieving the impact we need to. So that's really guiding us to to grow and change and learn.
0: And I love how you talk about the community because we can't do this on our own. My daughter adopted some foster kids, Mm -hmm. and they've had such great support from their community. They get that support from other foster parents and their community. And so what... Does Child Haven
2: do in the community? I think at the core of it, it's really about we're growing in in two primary ways. We're providing more direct services to kids and families in a lot of different ways, like John mentioned on our own continuum of care. But we're also asking the question of how do we how do we look to our community? How do we partner with all the other places that kids are, right? Kids, kids are lots of places every day, <laughs> yes. right? They're at child care. They're at preschool. They're in their elementary schools. They're with babysitters. They're, all over the place. So how do we take really what we know about what kids need, particularly kids who've experienced adversity, and how do we really push that information out? Let the community help us to design solutions, because really most kids don't ever make it to Child Haven, and we don't want them to need to. We want to have a community that that has these supports built in. Yeah,
0: so it sounds like there's really an element of awareness, which I know we're going to talk about ACEs. It looks like that's next. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are becoming more aware. My sister's a teacher and I know they've been doing the ACEs training. Mm-hmm. And I love that because a kid that isn't cooperating very easily might
2: be trauma, not disobedient. The ACEs work certainly is, I think, I think spreading, um, which is very exciting. And for those who aren't familiar, the... Thank you. <laughs> um, ACEs refers to adverse childhood experiences. And it comes, the, the language actually comes out comes out of a study that came out originally about 30 years ago. So it's not actually particularly new science, although there's a lot that's happened in those intervening years. Um, But it's really about kind of at, at its broadest level, what happens to us when we're young, right? And how when challenging stuff happens to us when we're young, how that predicts our lifelong health and well-being. So the ACEs study looked at 10 particular things originally. So things like um, living in a home with a caregiver that has mental health or substance abuse challenges, being exposed to abuse or neglect, all sorts of different stressors, right? And and the, how those predict to well-being. And I think one of the the kind of amazing things that came out of that study was people weren't so surprised, I don't think, originally to learn that when you have stressful experiences as a, chi- as a child, it predicts to things like depression, for example, in adulthood. What was really startling, I think, for people when that research first came out was that it predicts to every aspect of well-being, heart disease, cancer, academic success, you know, occupational success, basically everything as a community we're interested in, in terms of, of lifelong health. Is impacted by early trauma or ACEs.
0: I see early childhood education, early intervention. I think sometimes people don't really give babies the credit they need, that they are learning and being impacted from day one and how important it is for them to have safety and all just the normal things a child needs, and they don't necessarily
2: get that. That's such an important observation and one that actually, one place where I think the science hasn't made its way into a lot of our systems and supports for kids. So one sort of luminary in our field talks about if the if the brain doesn't remember, the body remembers, essentially, that, that trauma and adversity is really embedded in our, it gets embedded in our biology. And often still the way that we support, for example, babies does not, doesn't really incorporate that. And we don't, we don't really give enough weight to the lifelong impact that has.
0: There's a movie about foster care and the little girl, her mom has bought her a dress hmm. and the dad goes crazy about that and that's when she gets taken away well the new Mm -hmm. she likes the new foster mom but the foster mom buys her a dress Mm -hmm. and she of course freaks out and runs out of the Mm -hmm. out of the room and foster mom hasn't a clue but so it's those triggers that we don't know that have set things into motion
2: absolutely yeah Yeah. Yeah, and your point about schools is you know about teachers is, is a really good one that there's a lot of I think there's a lot of ways because we don't necessarily have a workforce who has has this understanding, right? So there's a lot of symptoms that we treat. I think that are about adver- uh, that are about adversity, but we don't realize that's the struggle or that's the trigger. Yeah.
0: yeah, so it's a little more. It kind of brings people to have a little more compassion, maybe. And, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what is the cost to society of childhood trauma and adversity?
1: It's pretty clear now that there's been a lot of research done that, that childhood trauma and adversity are really the root cause of most of the ills that affect our society and so um, maltreatment for an individual child is going to end up costing society over two hundred thousand dollars a year in terms of kind of fixing the you know the situation that undoing the damage that was done when they were young is that
0: per child per
1: child and yeah over 500 billion dollars a year so and we say we, we're we going to have to invest as a community one way or the other, and we can invest when they're young and prevent some of these situations from happening, or we have to invest a whole lot more later on to kind of repair the damage that's been done. So obviously we want to uh, encourage the community to invest more and more into early intervention programs like Child Haven and others provide so we can keep kids and families out of the systems and, and kind of prevent those long-term implications. We say that childhood trauma and adversity are the root cause and everything else is a symptom. So when you look at homelessness and And addiction and a lot of the other issues that we are kind of in the news every day, a lot of those have their roots back at at the issues that we're trying to address. They
0: really do. I I was running a day center for homeless women, Mm -hmm. and you get to know them. They were a foster child or their mom was on the street. There's a few that went in surgery, got pain meds, and then got addicted. But more so, it was the childhood, and, and they didn't know... They were being abused. They didn't know. So yeah. they grew up, they do the same thing with yeah. their kids because they don't know. Yeah. So
2: it sounds like you're kind of about educating people as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that compassion piece that you brought up, I think is a really, a, a really important one. I mean, what we know what what we know is that what what is most protective of young kids who've experienced trauma is the relationships with the important adults in their lives. But really to affect change in those relationships, we have to have compassion for those grownups, mm-hmm. um, which I think we struggle with actually quite a bit as a society. It's easier for us to have compassion for a very tiny one um, who is <laughs> in a rough situation, but it's a little harder to flash forward 30, 40 years and recognize, oh, the way, you know, how this person is struggling, It actually has its roots in something that they experienced when they were tiny.
0: Yeah, I think that that goes such a long way. What is the best way to prevent and address childhood trauma and adversity?
2: So that that really is is the relationship piece. Yeah. Um, and it, it really is this concept that um, for little brains, really the best buffer, even when kids are in stressful situations, is to have a network of grownups around them. Um, who can help um, basically, you know, be be their, um, be their buffer, be their protective, kind of their armor against the world and help them make sense of what they're experiencing. So what we know, even on a biological level, is when kids are going through tough things, if they have those supportive adults around, their outcomes are a lot better. And that really is guiding how we're designing all of our programs at Childhaven is how do we bring in models that really support that relationship. So not just the parent or just the child, but, but how they come together.
0: And I love how that then affects the next generation. If you can nip that in the bud or make aware they yeah. can change it, and that changes our community.
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. That's so powerful. I think that's hard for some people to think ahead like that. Yeah. But this work we're doing here, we may be gone, but it's going to affect you know the next generation.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's in- interesting to try to wrap your brain around that. That what we're doing with an eight month old, you know, how we're supporting an eight month old and their their mom or dad, right, is actually preventing homelessness 30 years from now or preventing addiction or preventing, it is generational work Mm -hmm. as much as it is in the here and now work.
0: Yeah, I love that. Science is so great and studies because then you find out it enhances and validates what you're doing. Absolutely. So how do you, what are your strategies? How do you make all this happen?
2: Yeah, well, we have a a number of different, so we've, we've expanded a lot in the last few years. So we've gone from um, have continued that core therapeutic early learning programs. We have Childhaven has a number of classroom based programs, you know, places for kids to be during the day, um, you know, nestled with supportive in supportive relationships with teachers um, and classrooms that are really designed to meet their specific needs based on kind of what they've experienced. Um, but we're also increasingly doing a lot of going out into the community. So, for example, doing home visits, um, whether that's with someone with a mental health background, a mental health therapist, speech therapist, and educator, kind of whatever the family needs, but really going out and taking our services into the home with that relationship-based approach and providing individualized supports um, for kids and families where they are.
0: I love that because then they, they get that relational, they know you like them so they can hear from you. Absolutely. Where if they go into a room with a bunch of other people, it would be easy to get defensive, I think.
2: Yeah, some of, so much of it is about trust, right? Mm. And about we, we know for any of us when we're in crisis um, or when we've particularly when we've experienced a lot of adversity, we tend to not not expect that we can trust others or that the world's going to be safe. So it's a it's in order to get our foot in the door in this work. It's really about building relationship and then we can grow alongside the families that we're working with.
0: I would <laughs> rather have a home visit.
1: <laughs> One of the most exciting evolutions of our program is. Recently we just launched a wraparound program, it's called and and we hired ten what's called parent partners. So these are people with lived experience, very similar to the families that we're serving. It's really been a game changer for the organization because you you know, you've got kind of our mental health therapists and our teachers and, and people who have a lot of education but may not have some of the lived experience. And then we bring in these parent partners as paid equals as a member of the the treatment team and they've changed the conversation within the organization and then the bonds that are formed with the, the families that are referred to us is really unlike anything that we've seen before. So it's, it's really extraordinary to see kind of a you know, this team come together and wrap around this whole family and give them the supports that they need to keep them out of kind of the child welfare system, and find them homes, and find help them find them food, and whatever it is they need to reach their full potential.
0: And so then they can kind of look at those those parents and go, "Wow, they made it. Yeah, I can make it."
1: Exactly. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah, it, it really has been an, ex- an extraordinary addition to our program.
0: Who thought of that?
1: The model's been around for a while, but in in Washington State, it hasn't been done with a birth to six population. Mm. So Childhaven has been working with some state agencies to really pilot on a pretty big scale um, this model with Mm. a, a very young population. And it's been really impactful. We've added like 35 new staff members in just the last six months. So it's um, a big part of our program now.
0: Oh, I love to hear that because, yeah. you know, in the olden days, everyone was home and moms helped each other and now we're all working and yeah. busy. And yeah. I was a single mom, so I know it's it's
2: tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What ages do you work with? So we really focus a lot of our services on the birth to six mm-hmm. population. We do as we've grown, we've also recognized that we don't want fam- We don't want our services to drop off when a child in- enters kindergarten. So we are thinking flexibly about how, with certain supports extending up older. But really, in terms of, of how we kind of focus our energy as an organization, we are really focused on those early years. I mean, to build on what John was saying about the wraparound piece, I think in general we don't we don't have enough recognition um, that young kids. Um, one, that they struggle with mental health, right, just like, just like older kids and adults do, but also um, the value of investing early. And so we're really putting a lot of muscle behind the idea that we need to be focused on early childhood mental health really to prevent a lot of the things that are costing us a lot later on. And what is the value of starting early? I mean, the, I, it, it's, it, it's an interesting balance in a discussion because I don't want to say, you know, what the science tells us is that we can shift behavior always. Um, into, you know, into, into adulthood and old age, we can always shift things. The, the reality is what the science also tells us is that the amount of effort um, and the intensity of intervention required when we're intervening early is just much less. So if we get to a family in the first couple of years of life, um, we may be, per, to, may be able to support them in a much less intensive way that's going to have a lot of impact over the long run, as opposed to if we get them to them when the child is 10 or 12 or 17, it may be at the point where a much more intensive um, and also invasive intervention is required. Well, and that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And intuitively, I think, I think when we have the opportunity to talk with folks, I think it does, it does make sense. It is, um, it is a little bit of a, it's just a little bit of a mind shift, I think for Mm -hmm. folks to be thinking about um, that babies and toddlers actually like Mental health is a thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. What's what's it's interesting that there there's a graphic that is pretty well known in our field, but it shows that where you can make the biggest impact is in those kind of prenatal to three years of age. Yet as a society, we invest like an insane amount of more money on the other end of the spectrum when it, it takes a lot more effort to have that same level of impact. So it's almost like a reverse curve. The the greatest impact is on the left hand side of the scale where we're making the smallest investment. And the least impact is on the other end of the scale where we're making the greatest impact. And so, you know, a lot of us are are working advocacy to try and make greater investments earlier. And and Washington is doing a great job in that. I mean, we've come a long way in the last 10 years. People are starting to recognize that the greatest return on investment is by investing younger, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't think the investments have caught up to the science completely yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, they say that uh, when, by the time the it's like 10 years where the science comes out, and then when we catch up, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so what's trying to close that gap. A yeah, little bit, definitely. Yeah. That's so interesting that that's when they need it more, is when their little brains are developing. And so, and what kind of support do you provide for your staff?
2: Yeah, it's an, it, it, I think it's an often overlooked piece of the work, actually. And it relates to kind of where what we were talking about in terms of taking the work out into the community mm-hmm. as well, um, which is just sort of an acknowledgement that, that for. Um, whether you're a therapist or you're a teacher or kind of any any person that's inter- inter- intersecting with kids and families every day, um, it takes a toll on any of us. Yeah. Um, and so um, in order to do our best work for kids and families, we have to, um, one one way it's sometimes described as helping the helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, we really have to invest organizationally and as a community in training and support for our direct service staff. So as we've been growing and pivoting, um, that's one thing that we have have. Um, tried to really face head on which is that what often happens is the work is hard it has a big emotional toll um, staff can carry that into their own lives and it leads to burnout and it leads to staff moving on and leaving the field which isn't good for kids and families not good for our staff and it's not good for kids and families who develop relationships with providers so we're trying to get ahead of that and invest early on in staff
0: that's so great I think if more businesses did that, <laughs> they would do well.
1: One thing that we're doing, and we touched on it early, but um, partnerships—you know, working with other, you know, embedding with healthcare organizations and other nonprofits, and really inviting, you know, other people who are listening who are associated with an organization to kind of connect with Child Haven and explore different partnerships opportunities would be we don't want to make it sound like we can do it all ourselves.
2: Right. And we can't. Right. Yeah. So anybody that can partner is, yeah, is we, just going to add. And I think it's a, a piece about working in early childhood as well, which is like my goal, Um, even as a therapist by training, would be that most young kids don't ever make it to a therapist's office. Mm-hmm. Right. That instead we take what we know about mental health and what we know about trauma and we embed it in schools and we um, arm pediatricians with that knowledge. Places where every kid has to be. Um, and so I think the partnership strategy is really core to that. We can't achieve that work unless we're partnering with providers that are already out there. Right. Um, so that most kids don't make it to people like me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> you're not promoing yourself no, very well. I'm not don't that go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking with John and Megan with Child Haven. And how can people get involved? We talk about partners, but what if someone's listening and they go, I love this, I want to do something?
1: Probably the best thing to do is go to our website, um, it's childhaven.org, and there's a lot of different opportunities um, related to volunteering, related to joining our um, advisory board or our board of directors. We've got an amazing luncheon coming up on March 19th that people could sign up for. We're looking for corporate sponsors to get involved and certainly filling tables with individuals who um, understand the value of this work and, you know, want to come and support uh, our effort in growing our continuum of care and reaching out and helping these families reach their full potential.
0: And what counties are you in?
1: Right now we're in King. Um, we have locations in Seattle and in Auburn and in Burien. Okay. Um, in the next five years, we have really ambitious growth plans to go from serving about 300 to 3,000 kids and families and going from three locations to six locations. And then we have a lot of initiatives built around developing partnerships, and that's partnerships with other nonprofit organizations, with universities, with uh, primary health care. So anybody who's connected to any of those places, we would love to talk to you.
0: You know, I love networking. And I think as people listen, you know, they they may not have that interest. Maybe they they prefer to help seniors, but they're like, my neighbor, this, you know, is Mm -hmm. like, tell people because awareness is what makes a big difference. And and the more partners in our community, the more that people all know each other, it makes such a big difference.
2: Yeah. And I always encourage people to, as they learn about the ACEs work, to keep talking about it with people, because I think it's still are a lot of people that aren't aren't don't know this is out there and it's the driver of so much of what we're concerned about as a community definitely
0: now if somebody wants to get that aces training or find out what's the best way
2: a great question you can go certainly there's a there's a good bit of information on our website so that's a that's oh, a starting place i always recommend too for those who are interested in ted talks that's yeah. um to <laughs> always check out um there's a real leader nadine burke harris who's now the surgeon general of california who has an excellent ted talk about the aces research and if you just google adverse childhood experiences there's actually a lot out there and a, and a lot of ways in which washington as a state has led around that work that there's Really interesting resources online, so check us out.
0: That's good to know when when your state is doing a good job. <laughs>
2: it's nice, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, what is something that you'd like to leave us with?
1: There's a one of the luminaries in our field that has a saying that I think is become kind of the heart of our work. And because you can get kind of wrapped into this service and that service and where they're delivered and who's being referred, but um, the saying is great. It's like relationships are the agents of change and the most powerful therapy is human love. And if we can just kind of keep focused on that with these little people that are around us, and you know whether you're a therapist or a teacher or a doctor or uh, a parent or grandparent, niece, aunt, uncle, cousin, Developing relationships will be the thing that buffers these kids from the toxic stress in their lives. I think it's also really easy to think that this sort of childhood trauma and adversity affects other people, yeah. but recognizing that we're all impacted either directly through our own families and our own lives and our neighbors' lives or indirectly through you know the cost to society on a financial basis. So uh, no matter what, this impacts all of us. It's in all of our neighborhoods. And, and um, so that's why I think we all have a responsibility to do something about it.
0: It is. It's in our neighborhood. I think a lot of times we don't think we're affected, Mm -hmm. and we are, because we're looking at right here and now, and I love that you guys are looking at, wait, back here, this Mm -hmm. is where it starts. Mm -hmm. And um, I love what you said about whatever you know about ACEs or whatever to talk about it, because my sister and I, we do the river walk at the pool. Uh, There's several teachers, retired teachers, and so my sister mentioned the ACEs. They knew nothing about yeah. it, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's been around for thirty years. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it, knowing it gives you more compassion. It's not an excuse, mm-hmm. but it gives you more compassion, and helps you. I always say some kids that are a little more challenging. It helps you go in the back door, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's a, a saying that gets tossed around in our field a little bit. It's not it's not what's wrong with you, but what happened to <sighs> yeah. you. Yeah, and, and it really changes the frame in which you approach both kids and adults yeah. in, in it's terms not when what's you see behavior yeah
0: it's what happened to you i love that that's really good so let's hear your website and email and i'll also post it on the show notes so if you're listening just go and uh, look on the show notes and you'll find all this information but
2: yep so our our website's easy to find it's childhaven.org or you could reach out to John or I by email as well. I'm Megan B., M-E-G-A-N-B at Haven, or John B. at Haven. We'd love to hear from you and talk more about the work. Do you have a Facebook page? We do. Facebook, Instagram. LinkedIn. Awesome. And it's all Child Haven. Child Haven, all
0: through Child Haven. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I just really appreciate you coming in. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new, especially about ACEs. I know I've learned stuff today. So join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a huge difference in our community.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. So I want to look at my calendar and see when.